lover, beloved, and love itself. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Trinity Sunday. And today we celebrate the three in one, the one in three. Today we hold the feast of the life of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And today, traditionally, the preacher begins with some jokes about the difficulty inherent in this teaching. Oftentimes, that is because the rector has wisely assigned Trinity Sunday to an unsuspecting assistant. (laughs) Watch out, Mark. Next year, you're tackling the doctrine. The other traditional jokes are mostly about math. Today is the day we celebrate that God is bad at math. One plus one plus one equals one. God needs some work on the arithmetic. We live in a time that is uncomfortable with doctrine, that makes jokes about doctrine, but the discomfort goes even deeper than that. I've heard the Episcopal Church described as non-doctrinal, as if not having a core set of beliefs was a selling point. Come over here to our church. You don't really have to believe anything to be a member. In a sense, that's true. We don't have litmus tests. I'm never going to ask you to sign a statement of faith to be a part of Holy Communion. I'm serious when I say those words, whoever you are, wherever you find yourself on the journey of faith, you're welcome here. But don't mishear me when I say those words. Don't hear me say, I don't believe, or I don't think that belief has value. The Trinity is worth believing. Even though the doctrine didn't develop until two or three hundred years after Jesus' death, it's worth believing. Scripture doesn't use the word Trinity at all. In these two short passages from 2 Corinthians and Matthew's Gospel, they're the only places in the whole Bible where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are mentioned together. The early church fiercely debated, even fought battles over this idea of Trinity. They say many of the bishops that turned up at the Council of Nicaea, where we get that Nicene Creed, many of those bishops, when they turned up, they were missing ears and eyes and limbs. They'd been to war over this doctrine. Is a doctrine really worth fighting for? Is it worth losing life and limb? The early church mothers and fathers believed this teaching was valuable. Belief has value. Faith is worth the wrestling. And for me, this doctrine of the Trinity, this teaching, this teaching of the triune life of God, it can be life-giving. This morning I want to talk about two ways I find the Trinity, the idea, the doctrine, worth believing. I want to talk about the Trinity and creation. And I want to talk about the healing potential I believe the Trinity presents in our divided world. First, creation. In that long reading that Lori just did from Genesis, we heard about all seven days of creation. Now, I don't think that Genesis was meant to be a science textbook. It's not seven literal days. It's not a cosmological or geological record. Genesis is theological. Genesis is the story about God's relationship to creation. It was good. It was good. Lo, it was very good. It's about how God relates to God's own creation. Did you notice the moment at the very beginning? Darkness covers the face of the earth. 
and a wind from God sweeps over the waters. Even the first sentences of the Bible, there's an interplay in the inner life of God. Then God speaks, let there be light. Immediately, Christians turn from Genesis to the first chapter of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, if you splice together Genesis and John, you have God's Spirit and God's Word named alongside God the Creator. There's an interplay in God's life, even in the first stories, the biblical stories of creation. God is not some static, stoic creator. God is a dynamic relationship. And God is not done with creation until humanity has been created. Meister Eckhart, the Christian monk and mystic, once explained the inner life of the Trinity and the creation of humanity this way. The father laughed, and the son was born. The father and the son then laughed together, and the spirit was born. The three then started laughing, and humanity was born. The father laughed, the son was born. The father and son then laughed together, the spirit was born. The three then started laughing, and humanity was born. Now, Meister Eckhart better watch out. The early church teachers would have come after him with a sword, because he makes it sound like God created the Son and the Spirit. Hopefully those early church teachers would have been assuaged when Meister Eckhart told him, it's poetry. In that poetry we have an image of the inner life of God. The joy, the laughter, the relationship in the inner heart of God's life. God is about relationship. Humanity is meant for relationship with God, with fellow human beings. From the very beginning of creation, we are not in this alone. We live in a time when our relationships are strained. We can see the evidence on an ecological level. Oceans are rising, ice sheets are melting, species go extinct with regularity. If God had made creation a democracy, I'm not sure humanity would win another term as leader. I say that kiddingly, but the more we learn about our planet, the more we learn about an intricate balance of relationships that keeps the biosphere in motion. If we're going to survive, we have to learn to live together. To borrow a term from Eckhart, we have to learn to laugh together, to laugh together with creation, or we might be doomed. I don't want to lower the stakes here. I'm concerned about the state of our planet. I'm worried for the future of our species. Yet here's my hope. This ancient belief, the Trinity, for me, it provides a diagnosis. We live in broken relationships with one another, with creation, with God. But if the Trinity provides a diagnosis, the doctrine can also give us a clue where to look for treatment. Learn to laugh together, Eckert would say. As we were traveling down in El Salvador last week, my friend Grace made a fascinating observation. Some of you know Grace. She has a Sunday, job, uh, Sunday morning job at another church that keeps her away from our worship services most weeks. 
but she often serves with us down at the Trinity Hot Meal, a meal for the hungry, and she often comes to our evening programs around here. And Grace came with us to El Salvador, and she had this real insight into why I and so many other people say that we feel so at home in the country. People often remark on the hospitality they find in El Salvador. It's a hallmark of the culture. Salvadorans take the time to greet you, to ask you how you are, and to really listen. Grace noticed that among the Salvadorans, people weren't on edge politically with us, at least not in the way we seem to be with each other in the United States. And she said that, it sort of dawned on me. It's absolutely true. Have you felt this on-edgeness? Have you found yourself not really listening to another person, just readying your talking points on a particular political topic? I know I have. Have you found yourself on the receiving end? I know I've set off a reaction from another person recently. I've even set off a set of talking points I agreed about. Someone recently tried to convince me that we need stronger gun laws because they thought that I had said something I didn't say. We're on edge as a culture. Grace noticed that down in El Salvador, the edge was off. People spent more time listening to one another, less time correcting. Stay with me for a moment. I think Grace's observation has something to do with the Trinity, with the life of God. The Franciscan priest Richard Rohr says that that on-edgeness, that tension, you can call it something else, dualism. He says we're set up in our culture to see this or that, black or white, male or female, gay or so-called straight, conservative, liberal, you name the oppositions. But dualism is a trap, says Rohr. We're taught to look for the other, the opposite, and then to oppose. We don't hear nuance. You are with us or against us. That tension of the two poles, the opposites, Rohr says, it's not of God. At least not how we understand God as Trinity. See, Trinity breaks apart the idea that there are just two options. There's always a third way. We can move past the opposition. We can move past dualism. What does this look like? What does non-dualism look like? Like all the colors of the rainbow. Today at church, we're wearing rainbows. We're standing with the thousands in Washington, D.C. and around the country, marching for equality for the LGBTQ plus community. And being a member of that community has challenged me to grow past my own dualism. The LGBTQ plus community, they really have been spiritual teachers for me. Because every time I think I have our community fitted into little boxes in my mind, sorted into this or that, and they challenge me to expand. Heck, every time I think I know the acronym for my community, we add another letter. <laughs> now we have lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and Q, which stands for queer and questioning, but not just queer and questioning. Then this year we decided, or at least I learned, that we've decided to add the symbol plus sign for all the groups not named in LGBTQ. 
I try and keep Holy Communion on the leading edge of welcome to the LGBTQ plus community. And so I added the Q to our sign outside this year. And then I got a little distressed when I discovered that our letter and symbol kit for the sign, it doesn't have a plus sign. I'm sure God will forgive us this year, but I'm looking into ordering. I figure I'll be proactive and get some emojis while I'm at it. I'm being funny, but there's a spiritual wisdom in that ever-expanding LGBTQ plus community. That unwillingness to be tacked down. And I believe it's the same wisdom that's there in the Christian teaching about the Trinity. God is one. And yet God's very oneness is a dynamic diversity. Every time I think I have God nailed down, sorted, defined, God surprises me. Saying God is three in one, one in three, it is to say that at the very heart of God is a love of difference and the ability for difference to come together in unity. God's very life is an embrace of diversity. So the Trinity leads me to ask a series of questions. What if we treated one another as equally beloved? What if we encountered difference not as a problem to be corrected, but as yet another facet of God's image? What if we didn't set ourselves up for opposition, but listened and laughed and added letters onto the description of our community? What if we learned to listen to creation and to adjust our use of resources to live in better balance? What if we trusted that God was with us in this dynamic search in life? Those what-if questions for me are worth the asking and more. Those what-if questions may be our only way forward as a species. This is why I think belief matters. Why, if you're still walking that journey of faith, I invite you to consider the Trinity. It's not a cosmic joke. It's not bad math. The Trinity is a description of God's life, the triune God, diversity in unity, the loving, laughing, non-dual force behind creation. And the Trinity can bring hope in a world of broken relationships. Amen.